This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So before we begin, that was very loud, uh, before um, we actually begin a, a small introduction, so last week we spoke about the uh, Kimcha de Pisla. So Kimcha de Pisla, again, for those who are not aware, is collecting uh, uh, charity for the needy, specifically for Pesach. Now, you know, nobody should ever, 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 ever know from this, nor should anybody ever know anybody that should uh, know from this. But unfortunately, in today's day and age, while people are making a lot of money, there are many people that are not making their ends meet. And, you know, just put yourself in the thought process of their shoes. There was someone that once asked the rabbi, what is the purpose of atheism? Like, what can you gain from atheism? Everything in life, you have a positive and negative. You could always learn out from, from anything in life. So what can you learn out from atheism? So the rabbi answered, you, what you can learn out from atheism is that if somebody comes and asks you for charity, you shouldn't say, don't worry about it. God will take care of you. Have, I have faith in God for you. Uh, that's gonna be, that'll be great. I, I believe fully in faith in God for you that everything will be okay. The, the positive idea of atheism is if somebody comes over to you and asks you for charity, you should say that there's nobody else in the world that's going to be able to help this person other than me. So when you're thinking like that, you're actually going to give more, give anything for that matter, to this poor person. Now coming to the holiday of Passover, Passover is a very expensive holiday. You have wine, you have matzah. Matzah is a very, very expensive uh, uh, you know, product. And wine is also, and besides that, you have family that are coming in. They want to go buy new new clothing for for the holidays to make themselves feel good. Forget about buying new clothing. Forget about buying that. They don't even have. They're on they're on debt already from like previous you know bills and school tuition and other you know just mortgages or even rent and utilities. There are many, many people in our community that are suffering from this. They don't have... How are you supposed to go into a holiday happy, smiling, when you can't purchase for your wife another dress? Or you can't... You know, your little daughter has ripped shoes. And there are people that are living in our community like this. So, I, I plead with all of you, everybody in here, and also everybody in the, in the virtual world, to please go open your hearts and your checkbooks, like we said last, last week, to uh, to help this uh, you know this population at this at this point in time and again when you go and when you help God's children when you're helping the needy children God will take care of you the biggest people always looking for for a big school a big a big uh, merit for panasa to have more money one of the biggest things that you could do is give charity you when you give charity it's a blessing for you to have more money so and a holiday that we celebrate our freedom and a holiday that we celebrate the fact that we could be like kings and, and queens, and there are people that, that are crying before they come to the center. Like, how am I going to pay for it? There, there are people that are really suffering. They need, they need so much help. So because of this, uh, you know, I mentioned last week that we have a website that's coming up that's, that's went live early just for this thing. This is the only reason why we went live, because originally uh, the yeshiva that I'm involved in, which is our Yitzchak, I wanted them, you know, what's your website? They, they had a long link. So what I, it was very difficult to send out a link. Who will know about it? So it's very simple. So we made our website go live early just for this. This is the only reason that our website is live early, just for this, because as the second that you go to the homepage, you'll see right over the right in the front, donate, uh, you know, donate for the poor. Whatever. You'll see something over there about uh, about donation. That money has nothing to do with me. It goes directly to my yeshiva that I'm involved with, which is Ari Yitzhak. And, uh, so again, I should probably tell you what that website is so you guys could go to it. It's r-a-b-b-i-z-i-t-r-o-n, uh, dot com. I was about to say, touringtime.com. Um, which is also an email address that you probably get answered a week or later. So in any case, the, 
the, the website, rabbizitron.com. You go over there, you go and donate as much as your wallet and your heart enables you. And you should know, by the way, that some people, it, it's such a merit to donate to this cause that there's some people that God is not going to allow you to donate. It's like you will want to, but God originally be like, you know, you hear about this, you know, like, I want this little three-year-old to get new shoes. And, you know, I want to donate $300. And tomorrow it's going to be like, you know what, does you really need $300? I'm going to donate $200. And by the time you take your credit card out, it's going to be $50, which is still a good thing. Anything anything helps. But it's something that you should realize that it, it, in order to give charity to a right cause, it's also it's also a merit. It's also a schut that you would have to have. There are many people that donate to colleges and hospitals, which is great. I'm not saying that it's not great. Maybe I should say that it's not great, but I won't at this point in time. But there are levels of charity. This is very, very important to support the poor people in your community. The yeshiva, I know I met with the, with the rabbis in charge. They told me that they need to raise over $75,000 just in this community, just in this area. So uh, please give whatever you can. And now, with that introduction, we can uh, begin. Tonight we're learning. But not not and for So okay, so now we're up to the plague of lice. It's crazy that we're going so slow. So, like Pesach is coming up so soon, and we're only up to lice. So uh, it is what it is. But uh, we're going to go through it slowly and in detail. The first two plagues we went through, we know that the plague of the blood and the plague of the frogs, Paro got warned. In the beginning, Paro got warned by the river, and then Paro got warned by the frogs in front of everybody. But in this plague, the plague of lice, he did not get warned, which means the lice came without any warning whatsoever. The punishment is also is like, hey, listen, we warned you twice, and you're still not listening. This time, no warning whatsoever. So he got punished, and, and he didn't get a warning. So you think about this for a second. Warning is actually a positive thing. When you get warned for something, it's a positive thing. People sometimes get are fearful of something. So sometimes it's a problem when they are too fearful of everything, the phobias of everything that exists nowadays. But on the other hand, fear can be a positive thing. When somebody is walking into a dangerous situation and, they are, and they're warned by somebody, don't go over here, that's a very positive thing. They go, okay, why are you ruining this for me? You know, I was going to have a good experience in uh, Brownsville. I don't know if anybody's, whatever is the worst place in uh, New York, which I'm pretty sure that's where it is. So uh, you, you, you go and, and you, you think about it. Warning is a very, very positive thing. But over here, Paro didn't get warned. The Nachmanides, the Ramban, writes that when did Paro not get warned? Paro didn't get warned when it's referring to plagues that are not, they don't have death associated with them. Meaning that, that it's not a, a plague that involves the deaths of the Egyptians. In those type of plagues, it says the Ramban that they didn't get, uh, didn't get warned. But now let's think about it for a second. So you have the plague of blood. You have the plague of, of frogs. And we spoke about it. And then like, what's the next big one? Like, lice? Really? Like these tiny little itchy creatures? You're going to be so itchy for one week. Oh, it's going to be so bad. Really? Like, that's what, I'm like, we're talking about God who created a plague that there is one monstrous frog that came out and there was tons of frogs everywhere. Went into the belly. It was, it was like crazy. Blood. All the water turns to blood. You have hail, fire and water together. You have darkness. The entire, so much darkness that you couldn't even move. You have so much, like, wild beasts. You have things that are coming from Asia into, well, it's close. You have things that are coming from Australia into Egypt. And then you come with like, hey, lice. You know, like, who was the one that orchestrated it? Be like, you know what's going to get them? The tiny creatures of lice. So what's up with this lice? Why is this such a, like, this is like considered a plague. Like, what, have you ever thought about it? 
There are so many good plagues to think about, right? There's so many, like, if you really want to torture somebody, like, what would you do? Most people have a list. You know, I'll be like, okay, listen, step one will be like, step two will be this. When are you ever going to be like, lice? Yeah, let's do that. Like, cockroaches come before lice. Like, why would it be go, you know, lice, really? This is what we're dealing with. So there's a lot to really uncover. Like, why did God have a create, why did God make a plague of lice? So, in 2002, I'm sure you guys, you know, remember then, you probably were uh, a bit young, but uh, there was something called anthrax. Anybody familiar with anthrax? Yeah. Okay. Anthrax is, um, is this white powder, uh, not the, what's the terminology I'm looking for? What people use for extracurricular activity, a different type of white powder. Recreational. Recreational, thank you. Thank you, that's what it was. Not for recreational purposes. There was there was anthrax. Anthrax is this small little bacteria. This small, you know, tiny, 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 tiny microorganism that goes and infects people to the effect that it can be treated, but it can be also very deadly. And it brought America to its knees. Everyone was like crazy. Oh my God, what's going to be with anthrax? It's crazy. What's going to happen over here? People are mailing it. It was it was a situation. Now you're dealing with America that placed people on the moon. Like, why are we worried about this little tiny powder? Not only that, I don't know if you guys are familiar with SpaceX. Space, you guys are familiar with SpaceX? It's a company that was uh, started by, uh, what's his name, Elon Musk. Uh, that he actually is speaking about putting people on Mars in a few years. So we have the technology, or soon to have the technology, to put people on the moon, to put people on Mars. We, you know, we have such advanced technology, but yet we're so scared of a Tiny little powder. But it was also in a post-9-11 America, where everyone... It's true. And this, like, urgency was heightened. So it's true. Let's speak about 9-11. Let's speak about 9-11. It's a good thing that you brought up. 9-11. 9-11, you had 19 terrorists, right? You had 19 people, mostly from Saudi Arabia, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and uh, they came to... Uh, they came on, on a few different planes. How did they hijack the planes? With a few box cutters, which... Small knives... And some mace. And they took over a plane and they brought America to its knees. With 19 terrorists. The craziest thing is, is that they came to America about a year prior and they were taught by the Americans. Aviation. How to fly. Uh, 19 people with such... There was no technology. They didn't come. They didn't hijack the planes with their sophisticated technology and they brought them into the, you know, the crashing into where all the sites that they crashed. 19 people. Sweaty. Confused, Middle Eastern men went and brought America to its knees with a few little knives and mace. Isn't that crazy? Don't you, you wonder like how, how that's possible? Look at Titanic, the unsinkable ship. No one had to sink it. It sunk itself, right? Just drive past by an iceberg. It grazed through an iceberg. It, it, it sunk itself. itself. You look at, at Titus. Titus was the one, uh, Titus was the one who uh, went and uh, destroyed the second temple. And when he destroyed the second temple, he was on the way back to, to Rome, to Italy, with his, with his ship. And he had Jewish captives over there on the ship. And the ship, it was a crazy storm. And it was like a crazy, like, supernatural storm. As if that God was punishing him and going to sink him. So what did, Ty, what did Titus say? He said, oh, okay, of course. Where are you going to affect me? In water. Because you got the flood in water. You got Sisera, you drowned him in water. You got Paro, you drowned him in water. In the, in the splitting of the sea. He says, your power, God, is only in water. He says, be a man, fight me on land. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it's the last time he's going to speak to God like that. So God said, okay, not a problem. 
sea quieted down, the ship, you know, hits shore. The second that he gets on land, he had a tiny little fly. Tiny little fly that went right up his nose. I don't know if this ever happened to you, right? You probably end up like, you know, like for like three hours. You're like, you know, you, you take out things that were in your you know, your stomach. Your, 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 but imagine a tiny little fly went up his nose into his brain. Now, when you have a fly in your brain, it's not like you forget about it. It's like a constant. He felt he felt it, the constant buzzing and the eating of his of his brain that he was in excruciating pain for many many years, until one time. He was dry, he was walking past by a blacksmith which was banging like iron and the noise was different to the fly that was in his head. So it stopped. So it was like, aha, I found the remedy for it. Because he was having, back then, what are you going to do? Have open head surgery? There was no, how did you do open head surgery? Take a big thing and, you know, open it up and that's it. Open head surgery. But then they don't know how to put it back together again. It was a Humpty Dumpty situation. So, he, there was no, uh, he didn't have any, you know, he couldn't take chemotherapy. He, he couldn't do anything. He just waited over there and, and all of a sudden he's passing by this noise and he fears, wait a minute, this is the remedy. All of a sudden when there's noise, the fly is stopping. So he hired people to go and just bang next to him. Imagine that. People want to hear nothing. He's like, no, no, no. I need you, I need you to make constant noise. So the people go and they're going around and they're constantly banging noise. This worked for 30 days. By the way, you know that for 30, he had Jews and non-Jews that were doing this. So for the, for the non-Jews, he paid them. For the Jews, he said, listen, it's enough that you see your enemy suffering, you don't even have any payment for it. So he didn't, he didn't pay even the Jews that made the noise. But in any case, he went and, and he made this noise for 30 days. After 30 days, the fly, what happens? You get used to something. The second that you get used to something, you don't feel it anymore. So the fly got used to the noise and again began buzzing around in his brain and eating his brain and causing him, you know, excruciating pain. This is why this is, you, you ever, I don't know if you ever hear of this, something called white noise. People that can't sleep, they have this, this, the idea called white noise. Why are able to people to sleep on a plane? Plane is extremely noisy. Have you ever tried to speak to somebody on a plane? It's ridiculous. You're screaming like, you know, it's like on the top of your lungs. But yeah, people are sleeping. How are they sleeping? Because it only takes a short period of time where you get adjusted to the noise. And the noise for some people is very relaxing. In fact, they have machines now that people could fall asleep with plane noises. There, and for babies, you can buy a machine that has a heartbeat. Because the baby, when a baby was inside the mother's womb, listened to the heartbeat. So it's soothing for the baby. So they have machines that it's just for, you hear a heartbeat. And uh, so, so this concept, the, the fly got used to it. The fly got used to it, then it didn't bother, it didn't bother him anymore. If I'm not mistaken, I think it was seven years. Seven years this goes by, and, uh, and, and Titus dies. And when he dies, there, there's a rabbi that, that notes that he was there when the, you know, when he, when he died, and the surgeons of the time, or the people that performed autopsies, opened up his, his head, and they saw this fly, and it was huge. It was a very, very big fly. That, because of, all it was, was it ate, and it did what happens after you eat in that, in that vicinity. So it, just, it kept getting uh, very big. But before, before Titus died, he went and he said, he said, burn me, and scatter me amongst all the seas, so that the God of the Jews will not go and bring me to judgment. As if, you know, how people, uh, okay, whatever, uh, leave it to his himself. But what do we, would, you know, we, we see over here that God could take down the strongest person, the strongest empire, with just a small fly. The concept of lice is that God brought Egypt, Egypt, the strongest empire at that time, to its knees with the smallest creatures. You think, say, you think I need to send you big beasts? Don't worry about it. You're going to get that in due time. Just stick around. But look, I can bring you to your knees with the smallest creature possible. Something that is just uncomfortable. And we'll see to the fact that it lasts, that, that, it, that it, uh, it went. So 
When the fly, when the fly, when the, when the lease, when the lease, when the lice, come on. Thank you everybody for staying with me. You know, we're gonna, gonna continue in English from now on. Okay. Whenever, by the way, you should know, whenever I have, whenever I start jumbling words, that's when I know I need to slow down. That's when I know. Until then, it's just a speed up process. As, if you realize, as the class, I, I, I put a bunch of words together. Um, I make a challenge of words and then, ba-da, new word. So I, but, but no, but the, the, that's how I realize time to slow down a little bit. And then I look at the time and then I say time to speed up a little bit. So it's a balance. Okay, so the, the plague begins. How does the plague begin? The plague did not begin with Moshe Rabbeinu. Why not? Because the way that the lice came came from the earth. And Aaron Akon had to do it. Why? Because Moshe Rabbeinu was saved from the, from the dust from the earth. How? Because when he killed the Egyptian, they, the dust covered, you know, covered the, the earth up. I think we spoke about this in the introduction. So Aaron goes, he takes the staff, he goes and he, and he waves it in all directions, strikes down on the earth. The second that the staff hits the earth, the, there was suddenly like this cloud of lice that came up. Has anybody ever seen a, la- a louse? Yeah, that's the right to say, right? One lice is a louse. Fun snapple fact, right? So you learned one thing, right? It's not, you know, multiple louse is lice. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah it's a louse. If I'm wrong, that would be really embarrassing. But it is. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. So, because nobody ever has a louse. Well, yeah, and it, yeah, and it. Nobody. Yeah, it is, right? Nobody ever has a louse. Why? Because they, we're going to soon see their birth factor and the, how they, their birth rate is. But in any case, so, so people instantly, the second the Aaron staff hit the ground, there was a cloud of lice, multiple. You're right. We just okay, good. Hashem. Thank you, God. Okay, so there's a cloud of lice that went out there and everybody was, inf- all the Egyptians were infected, infested better with lice to the extent Lice comes when you're living in garbage, living in filth, you're not bathing, you're not, you know, washing yourself properly. It's as if they've been living in garbage and filth for years. They have tons of, of, of these, of these lice went over, went all over them. Now, it brings down also the Midrashim that it's, it wasn't only lice that affected, it was all the vermin, all these types of, of, of things that live in poor sanitation. So you had worms, fleas, ticks, you had all these things that, that also came, uh, you know, in this plague. Not only that, it wasn't the regular lice. There was a new creation. There was regular lice. We're not going to give them, you know, the missed opportunity. They were regular lice that came, but it was also this new creation of new strain of lice that was introduced as well. There was over 14 different strains just of lice. Just of lice alone, 14 different strains. Now, why is this so important? If let's say, not you, God forbid, but let's say somebody comes home and they see bugs over there. So imagine they see one type of bug. That's like really bad. Like, but not like one type, but like a lot of that one type of bug. But imagine they see a bunch of different species of bugs. So one that has eight legs, one that has a thousand legs. What's that called? A centipede? All right. One that, uh, you know, one that has, if you ever seen that, that's fascinating. You could learn from these things, how they just walk. You know, it's like, you could learn so much by, by the way you look at this. How they, yeah, that, it, it's, it's really, it's really fascinating God's creation. People usually see that, I mean, women, see that scream. <laughs> Jump on the chair, and then they call, you know, d- d- listen, you know what, well, yeah, well, I was the one chasing it, but yeah, but I, I told my wife to jump on the bed, that's why, why you know, why she did it, so, um, my father was a marine, a big, tall guy, and he saw a bug in my parents' apartment, 
apartment and my mom was pregnant, he's the one that jumped on the door. And she's the one that took care of it? <laughs> Listen, you guys give birth, so like you can't, you know, you have men over there that, you know, they're in the, and I, I've been there and you know, like you come and be like, okay, let's do the breathing. You know, as if like we're participating in this endeavor. Like, I mean, I'm very aware that I'm not participating in this, you know, like, you're, uh, I'm not going to get into it, but, you know, like, but I'll just let you know, like, we feel pain, all, we can't compare, I, I know we can't compare, you know, uh, but, but listen, you know, like, the doctors should give the husbands that love their wives, that love their wives, I should put that in there, some medication when they see the wives in pain, because it's very difficult. Some sedative. I don't know. Give them a Xanax or, or something. I'm sure the wives would appreciate it also. Maybe an upper so you're just like excited the whole time. Really <laughs> I don't think they need that. Yeah. I don't think they need any more uppers. A downer would probably be the correct, uh, you know, way to go. Because any more upper, um, the wife will probably make you feel as if you're giving birth. So, in any case, why are we speaking about this? Lice birthing? I don't know. Okay. So, uh, squirrels. Okay. So, the, the, these, these, uh, lice, when they, these, these little, you know, vermins, when they went and they, they attached to the, to the Egyptians, they didn't just stay on the body, they actually burrowed under their skin. They actually went under the skin. It was very, and by the way, this came with a lot of other complications. It was rash, it was fever, there was complications of the heart, of the neurological system, there was, these are complications that come with these types of, of, uh, you know, of, of bugs. When you look at it, I was actually doing some research on the, the birth rate of, of, of lice, then these are just head lice. The birth rate of head lice is when you have a nit that ha- that hatches, it needs to it, it becomes mature in about ten days. Ten days, seven, a week to ten to, to ten days, it becomes mature enough that it can lay its own eggs. And its lifespan, once it's mature, it's about thirty days. But in that thirty days, it can lay up to three hundred eggs. In that thirty days, meaning that meaning that it can lay up, you know upwards, uh, you know, or up to ten eggs a day, ten children a day. Now. These are exponential type of numbers when you're dealing with this over here. So one one louse, correct terminology, one louse can go and within a few weeks can create thousands of descendants. Thousands of descendants. Now God took this and sped up the entire process because this was already a miracle in itself. So which means is, is that the you went to sleep, which you probably couldn't have, but you went to sleep, you woke up, it's like there was there was thousands of more lice, you know, already there. The what happened was is that the dust after and we'll soon see when this happened, the dust of the earth turned into lice. Which which imagine, imagine how much lice you're dealing with. And in fact the Midashim go and say that there was there was a carpet of lice and the carpet was two amot deep. You're talking about around four feet, almost four feet deep of 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 lice. Now, if you open your door, imagine you like page say, you open your door, not lice. Let's make it there's four feet of cockroaches. Like there's a, a swimming pool of cockroaches. You probably faint, but when you wake up, you'll close the door and be like, whatever I need to do outside. It was also, oh, we're going to get to that. Yeah, it was inside all as well. You're right. So the, you, you go up, and by the way, what I, imagine that, because people say lies. Okay, what's the big deal? Imagine you have four feet of cockroaches. Now people see cockroaches as worse than lice. Oh, cockroaches. Cockroaches are not biting you. Lice bite you, which means that lice is worse, it's smaller, but it's worse than a cockroach. Now this should put something to, you know, an emphasis of where, what we're dealing with over here. So, you have... You, they walk, like, on top of 
If they would walk, it's like, I don't know if you've ever tried to find a child in a ball pit pen. So imagine you go over there, you have to like swim. Imagine that with, with bugs. Now this is what the Egyptians had to live with for over a week. You could, yeah, technically you could drown in lice, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, they stand up, I would say, but yeah, there was little places of four feet, that's crazy. Four feet, by the way, yeah, you're going to get itchy, by the way, you're going to get it, yeah. <laughs> when I was learning about this, I was also itching. So, the, the, the lice is even worse than, than a cockroach. Now, this went also on the fruits, on the crops, on the animals, everywhere that they had, and even inside the house, every piece of dust was able to, was, was turning into, into lice. The, now, when did this, uh, when did this, first of all, why did the dust turn into lice? Because the Egyptians, they worshipped the dust of the ground. Why did they worship the dust? Because it was very, very fertile. Like we said, by the plague of the, of blood, if I remember correctly, we said that they worshipped the Nile. Why? Because it was so beneficial for them. It gave them so much power. It gave them the ability to grow their crops without rain. The, the, the dirt, the dust of Egypt was very, very fertile. To the extent that they worshipped it as a god. I'm not going to say the God's name because we can't use the, the name of God's, the, the, those type of names. But if you look it up, the Egyptians actually, there's a name for the God of the, of the dirt of Egypt. To the, and, and furthermore, they used to go and they used to roll in the dust, in the dirt of, the, of, of Egypt because it was like a God. And I don't know if you remember when we spoke about some, some I think it was an Indian, if I'm not mistaken, uh, a religion that they used to worship rats. I don't know if you guys remember that. So, but, and they used to, to go, they used to go and the rats would climb all over them. They would eat the food. There would be holy food now. You know, like, or whatever. I was like, this dust was considered a, a, a god for them. So we know that. What did God do? God went and God took apart their gods. Oh, you think this one has power? Look what's gonna happen. It's gonna turn into its, oh, its bugs. It doesn't even have power to keep its own form. The, the concept of measure for measure that God has is that the, you realize over here, whatever they worshipped for idols turned into their punishment as well. So it means just they denied God, they worshipped the idols, that turned itself into a punishment. The, in, in Pekeh Avot, Hillel says in the first chapter, in the 13th Mishnah, it says that if he who advances his name will destroy his name. Meaning that somebody who goes and strives after arrogance, strives after honor, tries to chase after honor, that's going to be the downfall. The more, never ever chase after honor. It's never going to be for your, for your benefit. But for the people that go and they chase after honor and they want it. By the way, nobody ever thinks that they chase after honor. Because in their mind they deserve it. Prestige, you want, you know, like, you get hurt when people insult you, you get hurt when, you know, whatever it is, like, you, you're, you're, you're arrogant. You're arrogant in a sense is also, uh, is also, uh, stems from, uh, from chasing honor. So, people that chase after honor, that's gonna be their downfall. And we're gonna see how it works in the Egyptians, uh, later. So keep that in mind, put it in your back pocket, we're gonna come, we're gonna circle back to that later. But we see over here where it relates to the, the, um, the gods of Egypt during that time. The amount of lice that were on a person were anywhere between 30 to 50 pounds of lice. Now, lice are very small. So think about how much it was layers of lice that was going in. To the fact that it blocked the vision of the Egyptians. You weren't able to see. Now, people go crazy with lice on their hair. This is not lice on your hair. This is lice all over your body. Like layers of it. Lice upon lice upon lice that are barring you. Lice under you. Lice over your skin. There's lice everywhere. Not only that, the lice also went into their clothing. Besides the clothing, they also went into their open orifices, like we spoke in previous time. They went into their nose, they went into their ears. 
I don't know if you've ever seen this, but the, um, the ear, nose, and throat specialists, so they're known as ENTs, they, many times they have to go and they go into the ears to remove the wax, but at times they also remove dead bugs, like cockroaches, and, uh, you know, they've removed cockroaches, they've removed cockroaches, it's, I don't know what the correct terminology for it, they want to fly, they're sleeping, and they go in, I don't know, I mean, or they made an experiment, I don't know, I didn't ask them, but they got in there, whatever it was, they got in there, I've seen roaches, I've seen, uh, I've seen spiders as well. Why have I seen this? This is another question. So, um, but we don't want to go off tangent. So, um, you'll just be curious. It was there, of course, right? What? It was dead. Not all of them, but most of them, yeah. Most of them, yeah. So, I know, that's why I'm not going into it. I'm not going into it. So, yeah, don't worry, sleep and think that there's going to be a a roach in your, in, in, in your, in your ear. So, and anyways, the, the, there were lice inside. So it was inside. And it wasn't like the frogs, they went inside their, you know, their stomachs. And, you know, cause again, the lice don't make any noise. But they went inside these types of orifices and there was, it was, it was very, very difficult to get them out. They tried to shake it out. They tried to do anything. Please go to sleep tonight. You know, I just want to get you, cause we're, so, uh, um, you know what? Yeah, exactly. We're gonna get to, we're gonna get to it in a, in a little bit. So bear with me. So, if you listen, if you listen closely, you'll realize why you're not, exactly, you'll realize soon why you shouldn't be afraid of it. As much as they tried to remove it, they could have removed it. The, the, the man law says, so you have all these lice on you. Their elbows, now the lice were biting them, and so the things were swelling. They couldn't, their elbows were stiff, so they couldn't even scratch themselves. You ever have the need to scratch? Like, let's say you have, you feel like on your nose you need to scratch, and it's like, oh, you, it's like, oh, you need to scratch your nose. Yeah, yeah let's see what's <laughs> going over here. That's the way it works. Right, you go and you're like, oh, it's in. And now, I said that, and a few people did it, you really want to scratch it. But now you can scratch it because you're over here. But you imagine that you really want to scratch something, right? You have like a scratch like right over there. It's like, oh. You know, like it feels good to scratch it. But imagine you can't. Like, imagine the pain and the suffering that they went through to do that. By the way, this was, feel free to scratch, by the way. Okay, so they went, at the, well, this, by the way, was a measure for measure because the Jewish people, they made them work so hard and also had lice, they, they didn't allow them even to scratch. They kept on working them so hard. But they tried to relieve their, their itching. They couldn't scratch it, so what they do, they jumped into the river. They jumped into the water. But when they jumped into the water, the lice came right, right after them. They didn't even leave them. So what they did was that they came out and they found like a corner of the wall and they just was like scratching their whole body on it. Now when they scratch it, originally it's like, you know, you scratch and it, it's, it's almost a little bit of taste of Ghanaian when you have a need to scratch and you're scratching something. It's like, oh, oh, yes, that's the spot. You know, you're scratching it. But they didn't stop over there. They scratched so much that their skin started peeling off. And after the skin started, they didn't stop scratching until blood was flowing from them. They were scratching that much. Why now you would think, because when you have an, a temptation to scratch, you can't stop. And they, could, they couldn't stop them. So they kept on going and they're scratching till the blood and they had wounds and they had things. Now, the lice didn't discriminate from the open wounds to the non-open wounds. So now you have blood. I don't know if you realize this, if you ever had this, but if you have a, uh, like an open wound or even a scratch, if you touch it, sometimes it's very painful. So imagine the pain that they had when the lice were going in the open wounds that they opened up themselves. That wasn't even the lice. They're the ones that opened it up, and they're the ones that brought themselves to, to a worse situation. And the lice went in, in there as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Infections here, yeah, there's a, you look at something very interesting that Rabbi Victor Miller brings down, 
also in modern terminology, all the diseases that they went through. I'm not going to go into that, but Barbara Victor Miller goes and brings, uh, and brings this down. So, the, and this is also measure for measure because they caused the Jewish people to bleed also during their, you know, you know, their torment of the Jewish people. And as well, because of the Jewish people, they did not, when soon see, they didn't allow them to clean their clothing and, and they also had lice infestation. But anyway, in any case, the, the interesting part over here is, is that God gave them a plague. This is like something fascinating when you think about it. God gave them a plague. You're going to be very itchy. You'd be very itchy. But they went and they took it to another whole nother level. They couldn't hold themselves back. They had to go and they scratch themselves. By the way, you should know that if you have a scratch and you're able to hold yourself back, that's a, I'm not saying that you need to do this and practice this, but that's a way of self-control. And I'm not saying that you need to do this again. But they couldn't hold themselves back, so they, they scratched themselves till the blood was flung, till they had an open wound, and that went and they made it worse. So the plague itself was, was bad, obviously it was very bad, but they're the ones that put upon themselves to make it even, even more uh, difficult, more painful on themselves. The, these lice went, and they didn't go only on their, on their clothing, on their body. They also went in their houses, in the pots, in the pans, in the utensils, and as well in their food. Now, I hope that nobody ever tried to eat something that was infested with bugs, uh, unless you're from a certain part of the world where there's protein, I don't know why they do that, but whatever it is, you know, that they eat bugs and, and all these things. <laughs> if the plagues would have gone in that area, I'd be like, oh, look at that, <laughs> supper, <laughs> thank you. You know, like, we don't have to think up. You know, they like, go right over there. But, uh, you know, normal people don't. And uh, they would see this, the Egyptians went and they saw this, the food infested, so they, I'm not eating that. But then they would starve. And they would starve so much that they would need to eat it. So they would go and they would just eat it, but they would get so disgusted by it that they would throw up. They would regurgitate it, and then the cycle would be viciously continued. So they would be starving, eating, throwing up. Starving, eating, throwing up. It was a constant, vicious cycle that they went through. So when you think about it, you think about, you know, you're talking about in the Seda, you're listening in the Palshat, Palshat, you go and you listen to this, and you say, okay, uh, the plague of rot lights. Oh, they were very itchy. No, 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 there's a lot that, that, goes, that goes on and over here. Now, what is the measure for measure? We know that every every makkah, every plague that God put upon the Egyptian is measure for measure. Because when somebody gets punished, it's exactly what you need to get in the exactly the right dose. So, what did the Egyptians do to deserve this? So, number one, they went and the Jewish people they used to go and they make used to make them go and replenish the supplies of building for the bricks. And what was it? it was dirt. It was the dirt that they would have to go and replenish. So now the dirt that you made the Jews work, now that is going to turn into dust. Furthermore, they went and they made the Jewish people sweep the dirt, the dirt from the streets. Now you can't sweep dirt from the streets because that's some places where... And by the way, that's before that we had all the advanced technology that we have now. Back then, streets were made out of dirt. right? So, so they were sweeping dirt from dirt. So they, because they made the Jews do that, now all the dirt became, uh, became uh, lice. They also prevented the Jewish people from bathing. So what happens when you don't bathe? You get infested with these types of vermin. So so too the Egyptians went measure for measure and they got, infe- they got a taste of living with these, uh, these lice. They, they also tried to exterminate the Jews. And we know the Jews are compared to the dust of the earth. And because they went and they compared, they, the Jews were compared to the dust of the earth. And they want, tried to erase them. Now they're going to suffer what it means to be dealing with a live species from the dust of the earth. The, the way that they prevent they prevented the Jews from leaving and escaping Egypt was through witchcraft. The way that they went and now why is this measure for measure? Because this is the only the witchcraft only goes by a certain size, larger than a barley. Which witchcraft cannot? We'll, we'll speak about it. Witchcraft cannot have any um, any power. So over here, measure for measure, because they went and they set up 
that the Jews could only can never escape because of the witchcraft, now the God is going to send them something that you cannot even duplicate through witchcraft and, and wizardry. They also enslaved the Jewish people to work with earthenware materials, like mortar and bricks, which also stems from earth. The, the same source, lice came from it. They would also make the Jewish people, if they would have lice back then, they would make the Jewish people pick the lice off their clothing. So measure for measure, yo, you're trying to get the Jews to kick, now you're going to get the lice. They also prevented the Jewish people from going and doing the mitzvot. So now the lice prevented them from doing anything. When you have that type... I don't know if anybody has ever been in a situation when they were they had this this extreme, let's say, allergic reaction to them, where something is very, very itchy. Like some people, they get a mosquito bite, they can't stop. Now that's just one. Imagine that all over, all over your body. You wouldn't be able to function. You wouldn't be able to do anything. So because they didn't allow the Jews to do anything else other than work, now they weren't able to do anything else other than deal with their their situation of itchiness and scratching and pain. So the Egyptians went. And they pleaded to their gods. They had, a, they, had a, they had a ton of gods. They went to every single god. Nobody helped. Which, by the way, this slowly show it slowly brings down the level of the power of their gods. So, Paulo goes. The gods didn't work. So Paulo summons his magicians. He calls in all his magicians in and say, "Okay, listen, your guys. Are, this is the magic capital. Do your magic. Get rid of this plague." And they tried as much as they can, and they couldn't do anything. They couldn't do anything. And they say, "Listen, Paul, this is more difficult than the blood and the frogs. We cannot do anything uh, with this, with this, uh, with this plague." And in fact, the w- when you look at the verse, you see how the when you look at the psukim, the verses, you see how the 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 honor, the prestige of the magicians went down. In the beginning. The Egyptians were known as Chaltumei Mitzrayim. They were known as the the sorcerers, the the Egyptian magicians. They were known as they had a title. This was the Egyptian magicians. It's like graduating from Harvard Magic, right? They had a high high end title. Then, as the plagues go on, you see that the their names are decreasing. Then Mitzrayim goes away. Then the the the, the you know like they graduated from like the Egyptian magicians, Egypt, you know. A name went out. It's only magicians. It was only known as Khatumim. It was known, if you look at, at, um, at Exodus chapter 8 verse 14, it says, Vayasu ken achatumim. When, when, this is referring to when the plague began. So when the plague began, Aaron, you know, did his, his stuff with his stick and he put it down over there. The magicians, at that point in time, knew that something was coming. So they mumbled some like, you know, stuff as if to say like, oh, we're also doing it together with you. So like, you know, Aaron was going, you know, doing his thing, and they were like, Abracadabra, you know, like, they probably actually did, and they came over there and like, ah, you see, we did it too. This is the arrogance that they, that they had. They were like, I could also do anything that you can do. Anything that you could do, I could do. Isn't that something, uh, yeah, there is something with that. Okay. So. Oh, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. So. Originally, in chapter 8, verse 14, it says, Vayasu kena khatumim. The khatumim did like Aaron did. It says there with a yud. With the letter, with the letter yud. The next pasuk, they, they couldn't duplicate it, because Paul came over to them and says, ha! You know, come on, get rid of it. And they were like, we can't. Even though they made believe that they couldn't. Imagine how humiliating this is. Because originally they said, oh, we could do it also, and they made believe that they could do it. And then Paul calls them and says, okay, get rid of it. I said, we can't. Because this is something that we can't deal with. So it says over there, the magician said to Paro, it's a finger of God. But how is Khatumim spelled? It's spelled with Arayud. One particular. So it started off the Khatumim from Mitzrayim. There was the, the magicians from Egypt. Then it went to just magicians. The full version of their name. And then it went to magicians missing the letter Yud. Now, the, the concept, first of all, 
when some when 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 a name is spelled defective in the Torah, this is a this is an illusion that it that it it's a person who lacks the ability of power. There's something that's lacking in that ability, meaning that they were lacking in what they had. Why the letter Yud? So there was ten there was ten measures of sorcery that went into the world. Nine of these went into Egypt. There is something similar that's mentioned about talking. But we're not going to get into that. Uh, but there were ten measures of sorcery that went into the world. None of them went to Egypt. Now, the Khatumim, the, the Yud, the Ten, removed itself. Meaning that they lost this power that they originally had. Now, what happened? The lice, when they first attacked, it first attacked the humans and the animals. Only later did the, the dust of the earth change into the lice. Why? Because what happened was, is that first only the animals and the humans. So now, the Egyptians had the opportunity of, okay, okay, listen, why don't you try? The magicians, so go ahead, try. But they couldn't do it as much as they tried. Now that they tried and they couldn't do it, now the dust turned into, turned into lice as well, as well. Because if the, if the dust would have turned into lice originally, they would have said, okay, listen, we could also do it, but there's no dust that we could turn into lice. Because everything is already turned into lice. So God did it in stages. First, only the humans and only the animals. Give the Egyptians opportunity. Go, try to replicate it. As much as they tried, they couldn't do it. And, that, and remember what we said originally? Their arrogance is going to be their downfall. We see the downfall. The, Egypt, the magicians were, were an esteemed position back in, in, in Egypt. That was like, you know, a lawyer, doctor nowadays, you're like, there was, you know, I don't know if there were lawyers back then because everything was a, a dictatorship, but there was doctors and then you had like magicians. Magicians was a high esteemed cap. The magicians were able to do anything. But God took them, oh, you're chasing after honor, you're chasing after arrogance, slowly, slowly brought it down, gave them the opportunity to do it, and now you can't do it. Now it's going to all turn into, now it's going to all turn into, into lice. The way that it works is demon, the way that there's, there's two different types of magic. There's, there's magic and there's magic through demons. Magic through demons and magic itself can only work with items the size of a barley or greater. Something smaller than that cannot go. Even though, by the way, this plague had overgrown lice. There were lice where they were bigger. They were as big as an egg. You know, there were, there were some big lice that you're dealing with. There were small lice, there were big lice. But because its original size was stemmed from very, very small, smaller than a barley, magic doesn't have any power over it. So because it didn't have any power over it, they weren't able to duplicate it. Even though it was bigger now, but because its original size is something smaller than a barley, something smaller than barley, magic has no power over it, so the Egyptians had, were not able to duplicate it. There was another concept also, is that in order to perform magic, learn some lessons on magic here, right? So if you learn, if, if, you want to do magic, which you shouldn't because it's halakhically not allowed. But if you, if you want to do magic, your feet have to be firmly planted on the ground. And you couldn't be firmly planted on the ground if you had four feet of lice. So the Egyptians would not be able to go and do their magic because their, their feet weren't on the ground. Their feet were stepping on lice. There's an interesting, in the Mam Laws brings down an interesting story on the, in, in, in the time of, 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 Shim, of Shimon ben Shetach. The, you're talking about about seventy, the year seventy before Common Era, so so quite some time ago, there was a wicked tax collector, and this wicked tax collector died at the same time as a righteous sage. So there, the coffins were proceeding to the to you know to the graveyard at you know more or less in the same path, the same road, and one was a little bit further than another, but they were all traveling in the same in the same place. Now. The tax collectors back then were not known as be like, oh, you're an accountant tax collector? Cool. You know, like that was not a good profession. That was something that they would take out money from the Jewish people. It was not, they would, they would go 
just to briefly explain what they do is that they, it's not everywhere, but in the majority of places they would go and they tell the king, okay, how much money do you want for, for your taxes for this country? Oh, from this, from this state, let's say, from this area. Oh, you want X amount that you're going to get $10 million? I'm going to pay you $10 million. Let me collect the taxes. So they would go and they would, they would take out so much taxes and they would keep the excess. So they, the tax collectors were known in, in certain areas as very evil people. Because they would go and they would, they would, they would take out, they would literally bleed the people to death of their money. So there was a tax collector that died at the same time as a righteous, uh, righteous person. So everybody came to the, to the funeral of the righteous person, but the tax collector, nobody came. It was only his family. It was a very wicked person. So while they're proceeding to the, to the cemetery, there was a group of bandits that were coming through town. And, you know, I don't know if you know anything about history, but back then it wasn't like, you know, I'm going to call 911 on you. It didn't exist. Like, like the, it was a situation to the extent that it was people feared for their lives. So they saw these group of bandits that were coming through town. They dropped their coffins and everyone scattered. Like cockroaches in the open light. Everybody just scattered. And they just ran into, ran into, ran in away. There was one person who was a very devoted, devoted student to this, to this rabbi, and he stayed in the distance watching the coffin. And the bandits went through town, and eventually, when people felt they were safe, they all came back, and they continued with, you know, moving of the, of the, the, the proceeding with the funeral. Now the people made a mistake, and instead of the, the group of people that were going, the large group of people that were going and they were taking this uh, this coffin of the righteous person to the funeral, they mixed it up with the coffin of the tax collector. So all of a sudden, the tax collector had a huge proceeding that has a huge funeral, and the, the tax collector, when their family came, they took the rabbis, which was only them, to the extent also that when the tax collector family came and they were carrying actually the rabbi inside, Everybody was like backing off, like you know, they like they moved away. It was like a kiyatam suf going there, like we don't want to have anything to do with this. This this student was looking at it from the distance and he was screaming at them, "You mixed it up! You mixed it up! It's the wrong thing. That's not the rabbi. The rabbi is another thing." But as much he was very far away, and they didn't hear him, and they went and they ended up burying the tax collector with such honor and prestige. The entire town was there. Everybody was listening. Everybody was there. And the, the the student was so it was so ashamed. He ran with the with the with the tax collector's family, which was really the rabbi. And it was just a small group of people from the family. And they went and they buried uh, buried the great rabbi in this part of the cemetery, where you know, like with 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 no honor, no prestige, nothing that was befitting a rabbi. And it bothered him immensely. He says it doesn't make sense. He says, "My rabbi, what did he do for it?" And he says, "What did this tax collector? How did he have such a honor? What schut, What merit did he have that night?" His rabbi comes to him in a dream. And he says, you should know that there's a reason that this happened. He, the rabbi goes on and says, there was one, there was one person. And he goes on, he says, he says, you should know, by the way, that I'm in, in Gan Eden and the tax collector is in purgatory. He's in, you know, not only that, he goes and explains so the, the man Lowe's brings down. He says that, where is he in purgatory? That his ear is attached to the door. That every time the door opens and the door closes, he goes in excruciating pain. And he says, but he's in Gan Eden. So the so the, the the student goes says what happened why why did he do to deserve this so the rabbi goes to him in a dream and tells him he says there was one sin that I did in my life he says there was a rabbi there was that there were many people that were making uh that were humiliating this Torah scholar and I didn't say anything I kept my mouth shut I didn't say anything he says because of that I had to go and get punished so my punishment was is that I had you know I was punished in this world that I'm not going to have a prestigious uh, funeral. But this tax collector, he had one good deed. What was his good deed? His good deed was that he went and he 
one time invited the mayor and the you know and his and his accomplices to go and bring him to uh, you know to a big party, but the mayor at the last minute canceled. And he had so much food, and he didn't know what to do with the food, so he invited all the poor people. He says because he did one good thing in his life, he's going to have an, a prestigious uh, uh, you know funeral. And that's why he went and and he had the the the, the more honorable funeral, and I had the less least on less honorable funeral. So the student asked him, says, why, why is he punished? Until when is he going to sit over there by the door? So the, the rabbi answered him, until the death of Shimon ben Shetach. He says, what does Shimon ben Shetach have to do with this, uh, with this, what is the connection that I have? Shimon ben Shetach was a gadol ador over there, he was a great, great sage. So he said that the Shimon ben Shetach, when he became the head of Sanhedrin, he went and he said that the, he was going to go and he's going to remove the, the, um, Anybody who practiced magic, which was not allowed to in, you know, in, in the, in the vicinity, in the area. And he never kept to the promise. And right now, there are 80 witches in Ashkelon, in the cave in Ashkelon, that are practicing magic. And, you know, it's during the time, and he, he because he didn't keep his word, that's why he is associated in a way, the immorality of this tax collector is sort of connected to him in, in a certain way. So this person, the student woke up the next morning. The second that he heard this, he went and he booked straight to Jerusalem. He went to Jerusalem and he went to speak to, 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 to Shimon ben Shetach. And he went to, to, to the Rav, Rav Shimon ben Shetach, and he went and he said to him, he said, he told him the whole dream. And the sage realized that he's saying the truth, because he did say that. So he said, you know what? You're right. This is how you know. This is how you know you know, I have a righteous person. When somebody comes and tells him that, hey, hey, this is what I had, and you're able to say, hey, by, by the way, you're right. I'm going to do something about it. And the, the great sage, Rabbi Shemesh Mechadah, said, you know what? I'm going to do something about it. And he went and he called 80 strong, tall, handsome of his students. You know, big, big, strong man. And he goes over to him and says, we're going to travel to Ashkelon. And where these witches are. And we're going to wait to a day that it's raining. And he says, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to go and take... The, take a cloak that is very, a very, very large cloak that is very easily, you know, discernible if it's wet or not. You know, there's certain like material that you know if it's wet or if it's dry. So you're going to take this and you're going to take a big jar and you're going to put the cloak in the jar and you're going to seal it shut. So they did that. They all found, they found 80 types of, they went to, you know, TJ Maxx or whatever it was. And uh, back then, and they, and they found this, the, this cloak, they put this jar and they closed it. And then, uh, then the great sage, look how the brilliance of the, of the minds of the great sages work. The Chachamim. He goes and he waits for a day that it's pouring rain. Pouring, pouring rain. And he says, okay, he calls all the world of students and he says, okay, take your, take your, um, take your jars and follow me. And they all follow him to the state, to, to this, uh, um, to, to the cave. And he tells them, they're, they're sitting in this like, like ledge, which is like under the rain. And he says, okay, I want you all, where well, it's not raining. He says, I want you to all take out of, from your jars the dry clothing and put it on you. So now it looks like they're completely dry because the cloak all the way to the floor. It looks like they're completely dry. And he says, when I give you a signal, you all come in, you pick up the witches and you put them on your shoulders. And then you run, and then we're going to go, and then we're going to go out. So the, so he goes and he says, and, and they say, okay, fine. That's what the rabbi says. The rabbi, you know, is what we're going to do. So the rabbi comes in is a place where there's 80 witches and the witches, you know, like, oh, What's going on here? Who are you? What are you doing over here? Who are you and what's your purpose of doing over here? So back then, you know, there wasn't the internet. They didn't know how the great rabbi looks. And he says, listen. So the rabbi goes, and he looks like a regular president. He says, listen. He says, I'm a warlock. I'm a, you know, I practice magic also. And I came to you. Let's share some secrets. So they were like, oh, you're a warlock. Prove it. Show me that you're a warlock and then we'll do that. He says, okay. He says, uh, he looks around and says, well, what are you going to buy? About 80 people over here? 80 women? They're like, yeah, we're 80 women. He says, you see, it's raining outside, right? 
says, imagine I can make 80 strong, handsome men come over here, start dancing with you like this, and they'll be completely dry. They're like, oh, if you could do that, you're more than welcome to come. The rabbi sends a signal. 80 of the students come in. They all look like they're dancing with them, but really they pick them up. The second that they pick them up off the ground, the witches cannot use their power because their ground, their feet are not touching the floor. Second that they're not able to, they go and they bring them down and they go and they, and they, and they bring them to trial and they pass a sentence on them. So over here it says the Mount Laws. We see over here of a story that the, the magic doesn't work unless you're planted on the ground. So over here they were able to go and manipulate and get, at, and get the witches because otherwise the witches will do the abracadabra stuff on them and they wouldn't be able to come close to them. But now that they weren't on the ground, they weren't able to go and do any magic with them. So do the Egyptians. The Egyptians have, didn't have any power of magic anymore because they weren't on the ground, which is also, you think about lice, what's a big deal? Because frogs is big even though but they were still touching the ground. Lice was the only thing that were, their, their feet weren't touching the ground. So their magic was, it was, God was also taking apart their magic. Their biggest strength, their biggest pa- power, God was taking it apart. Also, the way that it works with, with magic is let's say you take magic through demons. So the way it works with demons is they're able to take one object and they're able to move it to another another location. So that's the way that... So if let's say there is a creature very far away, the demons are able... Through magic, you're able to manipulate the demons, bring it to, the, to, you know, to your location. But over here, Lice, there was, a new, there was a new breed. There was something that was a new creation. There was something that didn't exist beforehand over here. So the Egyptians were not able to go and manipulate. They weren't able to go, I'm sorry, and, and duplicate... Better, better yet, the plague of, of lice. Furthermore, they also couldn't duplicate it because they couldn't concentrate for a second. They were too busy scratching. They're non-stop scratching. You can't focus and concentrate and do, and do, your, do your spell. So they claim to Powell and say, listen, Powell, he says, we would love to do this, but we can't because the lice are too small. But if you think about it for a second, really, lice is too small? Then why couldn't you do it by the frogs? Why can't you get... Why can't you remove the wild beast when it comes? Meaning that they came, they put themselves, okay, listen, if it would be bigger, we'd be able to do something about it. But now that it's too small, we can't do something about it. You realize what God's doing? God is putting words in their mouth that they're not going to be able to fulfill later. Oh, yeah, well, then why did you do it now? Meaning because they didn't have any power whatsoever. You can't defeat God. You can't have any God. So God was saying, oh, the source of your honor, that's going to be your downfall. Oh, you think you're such a big shot? It's a lesson that we learned. Don't chase after honor. So... Once Powell sees that his magicians has absolutely no power, he, by the way, he doesn't call them again. He's done with them. He, but still, at this still, still point in time, he made his heart still, still hard. On his own, he made his heart um, harden on his, on his own. Every time I think it's going to be for it. Okay, whatever. So, this is the power of ra- rationalization. Ra- also, Powell goes, he says, if, if the, you know, Moshe Aaron, why did they make the life so big? Why couldn't they make life even smaller than, than regular? Must be because they're magicians also. They're just better than us. Paro was rationalizing it. And in fact, we see also a sequence of events that we could make maybe a little bit of a chidush on how the Egyptians and the, and the magicians and Paro went and they, they said, Edzba Lokimi. They said, it's a finger of God. So originally saying, what's Edzba Lokim? Edzba, the Ayn Tzadik Bet Ayn, Aleph Tzadik Bet Ayn, I'm sorry, stands for Ein Tzadik Bidika Od. Ein means there's no more checking necessary. Here we know this is a plague that proves that God exists. This is above magic. There's something that goes above it. That's how it began. It began with Ezbalokimi. It's a finger of God, meaning that this is something that we know that could only come from God, not from not from uh, not from magic. Furthermore, also there was a new creation. New creation. Magicians cannot create a new creation. But with the Egyptians, with the with their arrogance that they had, and they started rationalizing, said, "Oh, you know what." You could also translate Ezba, Ezba as a finger, meaning they tried to minimize it. Ah, 
It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a God, yeah, but it's a only small little thing. It's a finger of God, meaning that it's a small little tiny thing. They were, they were trying to minimize the, the miracle that this, that this was. And um, Evan Ezra goes and says that, they, how did they say this? They said, Edzba Elohim. Elohim, the name, why didn't they say Edzba Yudke Vavke? They said Edzba Elohim. Elohim is, is the, the God, sort of the name of God that attributes to the, which he allows the laws of nature to operate. In fact, Elohim, the numerical value of Elohim is 86, the same numerical value of Hateva, which is nature. So the same numerical value of Elohim is the same numerical value of nature, meaning that this is the sense, this is the name of God that, that goes and, and, and just uses nature as a sort of an interconnection and allows nature to, to exist as it exists. So they went and they started convincing themselves even furthermore. It says, you know what? This cannot be from God, because why didn't Moses and, and, and Aaron, why didn't Moshe and Aaron go and warn us? Must be, they didn't even know about it. They didn't even know, it was just something from the other gods. It came, whatever it was, it was some like crazy, you know, fluke of nature that happened, and that's why it went. Now, Bob Manel even goes further and said that they went to extend and they explained this to nature. So listen, this makes perfect sense. First, the water turned into blood. Okay, so now that there's blood, so now the frogs need to leave the water. So then there was a plague of frogs. Now that there was no water, and there was, and the, the frogs were infesting the entire land, so the Egyptians couldn't go and bathe, so it only makes sense that they're not bathing, they're infested with what? With lice! This makes perfect sense! So they went and they tried to convince themselves that everything is like nature. Everything is like Edzba Elohim. It's all from nature. Not even pointing to God. Even though when you think about it for a second, what do you mean, really? Four feet, whatever that is, Four feet of lice is nature? Why is it only on the Jew, on the non-Jews and not on the Jews? Why is it the fact that the dust turned into... Like, there's so many factors that you could see God over here, but when you don't want to see God, you don't see God. So they didn't see God. They went and they went and they convinced themselves that it's it's some sort of nature. And this is what Paro did. Paro went and he convinced himself that no, that this is really a nature and this has nothing to do with that. And this is what he did in all the plagues. He hardened his own heart. At this point, he was doing his own his own heart. Even Even furthermore... The plague, when it ran its course and it ended, it never says that Sokim never say that the that Moshe removed it. Paro never went to, to Moshe Rabbeinu and says, "Oh, please remove this." Right after it finishes off, saying that, "Oh, it's Ezba Lokim here." This is the, the 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 Egyptian magicians one that says it's a finger of God. The next pasuk already starts over there, and God tells him and says, "Oh, go and and warn and and warn uh, Paro about the next plague." Meaning that Paro never went and asked to remove it. Meaning that this plague stayed on until the until the Egyptians died. The lice was also was was continuously to, to you know infecting them. So, this is the end. This is the. Yeah, according to, yeah, according to this, uh, this, yeah, they never went away. It stuck with them. Not to the extent that it was four feet, but I'm saying the lice was still, they were still infested with lice. So, this comes to the conclusion of the first set of the, of the three sets that we spoke about. This proved at this point in time that God existed. This is where it proved that God existed. Now, when we look at these plagues, and we look at especially the plague of lice, there's a very, very important lesson that, that we need to learn from it. There are many things that happen in our lives that we can use and interpret. Bless you. Mazel Tov. Baruch Hashem. help you. There's many things. It's a blessing. Say amen. Um, so, the... Should help you. Are you writing it down? Should help you. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So, when you look at the plague of lice and you look at something that is so infinitely small, something that doesn't even, okay, what's the big deal? It's a small thing. Never underestimate God. God could take the smallest, littlest, tiny creature and bring the largest and strongest 
nation to its knees. To break everything down. This is when you realize the pa- this shows the power of God. This shows, you know why God took a light? light something so small, I'm going to take you down. This is showing, oh, you don't know who I am? Let me introduce myself. This is the third introduction. The third introduction showing what, what God is. And furthermore, also taking apart their, their idol worship. But even furthermore, a very, very important lesson that each and every single one of us can learn is the fact of rationalizing. We go and we rationalize. We rationalize ourselves in everything. Just like Paul, when we see there's God is right there. We see it's very obvious what God wants us to do. It's very obvious that Torah is, is real. It's very obvious the mitzvot that we need to do. It's very obvious everything we do, but we go and we rationalize ourselves. And we say, okay, maybe I need this, maybe I need this. And we go and convince ourselves things that we really shouldn't convince ourselves. We go and we say... You should really, by the way, you should really put this, if anybody went through this class and listened to it, and then you go and say, you know what, I don't need to give any money to the charity, to, to people that don't, even if you give $5, even if you give $1, $1 anybody could donate, but if you don't give even, even, even anything to, to these poor people that need it for this, you're rationalizing to yourself. So obviously I can't say, oh, what makes you different than Paul? Obviously there's a very, very big difference, but it's a very, very serious thing that we go over here. There's a very, you realize, Kim Chod is such a huge thing. Everybody, every single synagogue, is everybody's dealing with it. It's a big deal for a reason. So when you go, when you come home, when you finish listening to this, to this class online, wherever you are, stop for a second and realize, and think for yourself. Think for a second. Am I rationalizing my life? Am I doing it? Go, take two minutes of your time, and two dollars, five dollars, five hundred dollars, five thousand dollars, whatever you could afford, and help God's children that cannot go and pay for this. Cannot pay for this this holiday that's coming up. Go to RabbiZitron.com. Again, the money has absolutely nothing. The money doesn't even... I super linked whatever that's called. I don't know. The person who's dealing with my website did it. The, 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 their, their link into my website. So I have nothing to do with the money. The money doesn't even go through me. doesn't touch me. It's only sitting in my website until Pesach is over. Once Pesach is over, um, uh, you know, I'm removing it. So you have over there, please, you have a simple, simple place to go, RabbiZitron.com. Go over there, donate to whatever you can. Help the poor people that are able to make a Pesach. Help somebody else become happier, be able to go and buy their children, buy their wives something that is that is new for Pesach, for a change, and even to just help pay the expenses. And Bezat Hashem, may we all have an extremely beautiful and amazing Pesach and Yerushalayim with, with Mashiach, but even more so, we, may we go and grow in ourselves and, and learn the lessons that we, that we need to learn from this situation, because this is an education for both the Jewish people and the non-Jewish people. God is introducing himself to the Jewish people and to the non-Jewish people, know who I am. Know who God is. And the one thing that you need to learn over here, at least one thing that you need to learn, don't rationalize to yourself. Any questions? Yeah. Um, Egypt is not like the only place the Jews have been hurt. Like why is it, why did God do all the makkot then? Like, why not in every single? Show? Not even every single. Why, why then and not before? Why then and not after? So, if Why you realize, this was very, very much connected to the Matan Torah. God is, God is giving the Torah. Now, if God, God went and introduced himself to the world. Until then, you know, you have from Noach, Tamil, everybody knew that God existed in a certain, in a certain way, because you realize there weren't atheists back then. There were, um, there were people, maybe I'm Moloch, you could say a little bit, but the, the people generally have, were believed in polytheism. They had many gods. But now God is introducing himself into the world. So God introduced himself to the world. Now God doesn't have to introduce himself every so often. Like I have people that come like, I don't believe God exists. Let him prove it to me. I'm like, who are you that God should prove it to you? Like, you know, like, 
It's not that you, that God needs to prove himself to you. You need to prove yourself to God. Like, so God doesn't have to prove himself every so often. History, if you learn history, it's very simple. There is, there's God. God doesn't have to go and give makot and give plagues every single time. But it was very, very connected to the matan Torah. Because now, oh, God is giving matan Torah, measure for measure. All, everything came in in a sequence of events that had to be particularly in this time frame. After that, if you want to know and understand God, look through history. God is still exists. God is still there. But he's through Hateva. He's through Edzbal Okimi. He's through the nature that he's going in for it. You look at Germany. Germany went and it kicked and it expelled all the Jews. What is Germany now? What it, was, it, it felt it was a superpower back then. And now it's nothing. Every, Spain. Spain was a ruler of the, before it expelled the Jews. It was huge. That's why Turkey, you know, the, the, you know, a lot of places went and, it, and wanted the Jews to come. Jews had influence, especially monetarily, financially. We look at it, even though that we don't see these crazy miracles, God is still doing these miracles, but he's hiding himself through nature. So it's still there. The Makot is still there. World War One, World War II, all that thing, anthrax, 9 everything is still there. It's just hidden. It wasn't as open as it was before because that has to be related with Matan Torah. Any other questions? No questions? Okay. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.